Welcome to the Hardy Mom Podcast. My mom has tips and tricks to help you live well with health challenges. She'll even tell you how to get your kids to help out. Wait, what? Your health challenge, girl, I get it. Feeling anxious, depressed, don't you sweat it. You Welcome, I'm Jen Hardy, and I realized that I've started the last three episodes apologizing for my sound quality. I just want you to know that I've discovered the issue, and I'm changing the program I record guests with to eliminate the problem. Unfortunately, I have six more interviews recorded with that program, so I apologize in advance. Thank you for understanding, and now, let's get to it. I don't know about you, but I've been struggling with getting quality medical care. I've asked around, and many people I know have been having the same issue, so I started thinking, Is it the doctor or could it be us? Well, I decided to interview Dr. Bluestein. She is a physician, mom, and has chronic illnesses. And I got her advice and I used it for my hospital stay and my last three office visits. And it has made a huge difference. Okay, full disclosure, I did not take her advice at the end of my hospital stay but more on that later. Did it end well? Well, no. So without further ado, let me introduce Dr. Bluestein and you can get her advice and rock your next office visit. I'm telling you what, it's really going to blow your mind. At first, I almost was a little unsettled. But when I really thought about it, I thought, you know what, she is so right. And it works. So stay tuned check this out. Well, Dr. Bluestein, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I just, I was telling you, if I could design someone to interview and make a role, like you're exactly the person. So I really appreciate you coming on today. I had found you um, because I interviewed Karina, who has EDS, and I believe you also have EDS. And that's how I I, I found your Instagram. Okay. And then I read the things that you've gone through and I thought, you can help us. You can help us. So if you can tell a little bit about your story in your words, then. Sure. Yep. So I started having medical problems pretty much day one. I was, as an infant, I was in the emergency room a lot with asthma attacks and things like that. Eczema, a lot of like, you know, sensitivity type things like, like, um, you know, uh, just from a very early age, had a lot of allergies and and things that, you know, really, honestly, it wasn't until much more recently that that was ever put together with anything else, you know, and then abdominal pain, and then the joint pain started and then, and then the migraines and, you know, kind of one thing led to another, or, you know, kind of additive things that, um, you know, start to pile up a fair bit and influence your quality of life. And, pregnancies definitely um, affected my immune system. I had, you know, uh, thyroid problems after both of my pregnancies. I had problems during my pregnancies. Um, Obviously wouldn't trade them for anything, but pregnancy was, you know, an interesting time for my body. Um, I was on beta blockers both times because of instability of my autonomic nervous system, which I was never told, you know, what, what that really meant either. Um, So I was trying to work despite my heart rate being, you know, exceedingly high and, um, you know, standing up in the operating room and, and all of that. So, um, you know, kind of 
you know, managed to make it through pretty well, but then started getting more problems with chronic pain um, around 2009 and um, then ended up having major spine surgery in 2011 and then was able to get back to work for a few years. But then I ended up having um, a, a huge cyst inside a bone in my wrist and I had bone grafting surgery at that time. And I developed CRPS after the surgery, which is uh, complex regional pain syndrome. And after that, I'd already had uh, dislocated my ulnar nerve at my elbow and I had an unstable left shoulder and this is my airway arm. So that was kind of the end of my operating room career. So then it was, you know, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I ended up kind of falling into taking care of people with EDS because I had spent so many years in that recent period trying to figure out how to improve my own quality of life and thought, well, I wonder if this will work for other people. It's worked for me. So might as well give it a shot. So that's amazing. So you went through all those health challenges and you still went to medical school. Yes. Yes. Actually, I was able to graduate from school from college a year early because I had been studying ballet and I was very serious about my ballet, but I wasn't able to dance for a while while I was in high school. So I started taking college classes while I was in high school because I was used to a very fast pace and I got bored very quickly when I wasn't able to dance. So um, I was able to graduate a year early, which was, which was kind of (laughs) nice. Yeah, that's great. So what are the, some of the tools that you used to help you get through school when you had things like pain and all the difficulties you had? So when I was in college, um, although I had had multiple surgeries and things like that, I really wasn't having super regular problems. It was when I was, you know, I I did start having migraines. I think I had my first one around age 17, and then they started coming more regularly in med school. And then when in residency, um, towards the end of my residency is when they got significantly worse. In fact, at one point I was hospitalized for several days um, because I had something called status migranosis, which is where it just will not go away. And um, so I was physically doing quite well when I was in college. I mean, I did have the allergies and I I remember, you know, sleeping through, I took summer school also just because I just, I just wanted to keep going. And um, in the summer in Southern California with all the allergies and I took lots and lots of Benadryl and it's amazing that I, you know, was able to, to um, get through my classes and things, but um, yeah, in high school, I had, you know, the the issues with pain, but then by modifying my activities and then I danced all through college, but I didn't dance as much as I had in high school. So I did, I did pretty well. And it's not like I had, you know, physically, I, I started developing more issues as I got, as I got older. I mean, it just kind of started to pile on a little bit more. All right. Okay. So when did you find out you had EDS? 2012. Oh, wow. So yeah. It took a while. Not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even though I've really had symptoms my entire life. And not only that, I went to um, a lot of different doctors for different things. Like I mentioned, I dislocated the ulnar nerve in my elbow. I collided with somebody and and tore what's called the retinaculum on my elbow. And um, when I went to have that surgery at the Mayo Clinic, they measured my elbow range of motion. And they said, oh my gosh, your elbows are so hypermobile. And they wrote down the numbers and, you know, one was minus 20, I think it was. And the other one was similar. And they said, well, you're going to lose that hyperextension of that elbow, but nobody ever said what that might mean. And I saw like a physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor and they're measuring my neck range of motion and different things. And they're commenting how loose I am. And I'm seeing orthopedic surgeons and they're commenting how loose my shoulders are and how loose my wrists are. But nobody, nobody said 
what that what that could mean. Now, you know, they might not have realized because obviously we've gotten a lot more information in recent years. Um, and I didn't learn much about EDS in med school either. So, yeah. Right. And, and I think you know, what you're talking about, it is a EDS, but also so many of these chronic illnesses are similar, right? Where we have all these different symptoms and all these different things and nobody can figure it out. And I know for me, I had a full single space typed sheet of symptoms and I had a neurologist say, go home and pare it down. Mm. But, I, but which ones do you take off? You know, I don't know, but it was because I had two things that never happened together. And, you know, it just took a lot of, a lot of finding, which is wh one other thing that I saw when I saw your Instagram, there was a thing where you had said, you imagined that doctors talked about you, you know, or said things, but then you heard them talking about other patients when you were in school. And so I'm wondering, what can we do? What can we do as patients to help communicate to the doctors so our issues seem more concrete? My experience as a woman, sometimes I'm not taking seriously, but if my husband comes with me and says, yes, she's in pain, it's like he's a Jedi mind trick thing. They're like, oh, yes, she's in pain. You know, but if I'm, if it's just me, then they send me home. So I don't know if there's, there's tricks you've got or, or not tricks, but different tips for people to be heard. So, so yeah, I do have a few suggestions. One is it's always a good idea to bring someone else with you to an appointment, if at all possible, for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's like any time that I would go to do, I'm an anesthesiologist, I'm trained as an anesthesiologist. And anytime I would go to do a pre-op assessment on someone, whether they were an inpatient at the hospital or they were in the outpatient area or they're at the surgery center or, or wherever, if they're alone and they're there in a gown, as compared to if they're there surrounded by their, some other family, or they've got a couple of family members there or one family member or whatever, it's just easier to see them as a whole person. You know, when they're there in a gown and, you know, they're, they're the patient and, you know, they're bringing to you their complaints. That's what they're supposed to do. Right. Right. And I now call them chief concerns, not chief complaints um, because, you know, it's, it's a better way to describe it. These are their concerns. But, um, you know, I was taught in medical school to talk about chief complaint. Um, and so, you know, people are coming to us with their concerns or their complaints. Um, and if they're coming for surgery, you know, they're nervous probably and, and may not remember to ask certain questions. So I think it's always helpful to have family members there or loved ones because they can help you remember things that maybe you wouldn't remember. We, we then see you, I think, this is this happened to me, at least I think it happens to my colleagues as well, that we see you more as a, as a whole person. And, and we see that, oh, here's this other person who really cares about this person, you know, and it just, it just paints a more, a more complete picture. And then there is also that element of, if it's, if it's a, you know, a husband, and he says, you know, she really is limited by X, Y, and Z. And this is what I'm observing. It, it is helpful. Um, unfortunately, I do believe that women are not treated as well as men. I think men's pain, when men have pain, I believe it is taken more seriously. Um, I do have lots of patients though, that are men and they've struggled as well. So it's not like they, you know, they don't well, get it's a just pass. women. Yeah, but but it is, um, you know, the opioid ep epidemic obviously has not helped. Um, so I think a couple things. One, to stress, if, you, if you're not looking for opioids, to stress, I am not here because I want opioids. 
I would just come right out and say that. Do not assume that, do not assume anything, basically. So I would say, I am not here because I want pain medication. I'm not here because I want opioids. I am here because as someone just told me on Twitter, I think it was this morning, I want my life back. I And I am willing to do the work that it takes. You may think that's obvious, but I think it's very important to spell that out that I, I, I have patients all the time tell me I used to be a collegiate athlete. I used to be a professional dancer. I used to be a circus performer, whatever it might be. You can even bring in a picture and say, you know, this is what I could do before. And I know I can't get back to how I was when I was 20, but I, but I want to get the best quality of life that I possibly can. And I understand that that is going to take work and I'm willing to do the work. I understand that this is maybe complex and mysterious and it may require me coming back for another visit because I know that you have limited time. I would always suggest that people acknowledge the time factor. Um, you know, we're human beings just like everyone else. And when people acknowledge the limitations that we have, it it kind of like helps us let our guard down. And I think that that can be a very valuable disarming type of tool and allow us to connect on a more human human level. And if you say, I'm willing to come back, you know, in a week, in two weeks, um, in a month, whenever you want me to come back, like I will do it and I will follow your care plan. Cause that's the other thing is, you know, sometimes people don't follow, follow up on your recommendations. And then that makes it, frankly, it makes it harder to get super invested if the person, and, and I will say this, if you don't follow up, on the person's recommendations, explain why. So if you say, you know, I got in a car accident or something happened to my spouse or I couldn't afford the supplements or whatever it might be, you know, again, if you explain that, that's very different than just making it look like, you know, you didn't do what the doctor was recommending that you do. Another thing that I often advise people to do is to try and take an outsider's perspective and be as objective as you can about what's going on. We are, human beings are wired to pay attention to emotion. So if you come in super anxious and super emotional, um, it sometimes that can put the doctor in a different mindset than if you're like calmly trying to describe. And you can even say like, I know right now I look like I'm calmly sitting here describing all of this to you, but I'm really struggling and I really want to feel better. Again, you may think that's obvious, but I would explain, you know, um, if you're not looking to get on disability, I want to work. I want to be taking care of my myself. I want to be able to take care of my family. I want to be able to do these things um, because, again, you may think it's obvious, but it but it isn't necessarily. So those are some things that I think people can do. You know, sometimes people come into appointments kind of angry right off the bat, and that's, you know again, we are energy beings. And so if there's, if it starts out with that tension in the room and, um, you know, I've, I've seen, and I, and I know of people who, you know, kind of start out bringing in some past encounters. If you can try not to bring in past encounters, um, you know, unless it's, unless if it's a past encounter with that particular doctor, and then you can maybe say, you know, uh, last time things didn't go great. Can we wipe that slate clean and start over or something like that? So those are some things people can try. That's really good. So I know for me, I have a bunch of things that don't normally go together. And I was having a hard time explaining that 
to because physicians are saying no, you, people don't normally have muscular dystrophy and myasthenia gravis. We don't ever see that. So I put together a folder that just a simple folder, not with all my chart because that's overwhelming, that just had the diagnoses from the different places. So if there was a question, I could say, well, you know, and not, and not be like, well, this is one that, you know, but just to show them this is what I've been diagnosed with and I want to move on from here and get better because then it just seemed to help them like, oh, you know, this doctor at Vanderbilt said you have both of these things. So let's move on from there. So for me, that's helped. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. The presentation, though, has to be nice. You know, it can't be, you know, sassy. But Right. It can't be, can't be sassy. But but um, what you're saying, I think, is huge. Having like a one page with the major diagnoses. And when I say major, like major diagnoses, major surgeries, the one page summary, two page summary, whatever it might be. And ideally, like you said, what the diagnose, if you can have the diagnosis and even the ICD-10 code, because there are different, even within a given condition, there'll be different codes. Um, that's very, very helpful. And that, you know, being concise is huge. Yeah. Cause I did come in once with my whole, with, well, not my whole, but a good stack of four inches of chart. And the doctor said, you know, I don't know what you expect me to do with this. And you know what, I mean, he's certainly not going to read it. So yeah, that's, that's really good. Okay. Um, so I had another experience. And I know there's a lot of people that get diagnosed with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, which is what I was diagnosed with in the beginning. And I do believe that people that are diagnosed with those things do have the symptoms from those things. But I felt like in the beginning that it was more of a blanket thing, like we don't know what's happening with you. And so we're going to give you this thing. And then when I did get diagnosed with myasthenia, my neurologist said, you get that fibromyalgia taken off your chart because the second someone walks in my office with that, they, I see hypochondria. So I don't know if that's a thing that other doctors sometimes see. And I'm not, and, and for anyone listening, I'm not saying you don't have the symptoms. It's just... That was the experience I had. So I wanted to ask another physician if that, I don't know. Is that so fibromyalgia is one of those really complicated conditions that if you ask people who actually study fibromyalgia, they will say for sure, this is a real disorder and there's no question about it. And we, we have evidence of changes in the brain and in difference in, in inflammatory markers and things like that they will not discriminate against someone that has a fibromyalgia diagnosis on their chart. However, that's a certain subset of physicians. And unfortunately, there are physicians who I've, I've heard physicians say um, that fibromyalgia, like it's the F word. Um, I've heard people say an EDS is the E word, you know, and it's really, it's unfortunate, but um, it's one of those diagnoses, fibromyalgia meaning fibromyalgia is one of those diagnoses that, that definitely it can be confusing because a lot of people who do have one of the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes or even hypermobility spectrum disorders, having um, centrally mediated pain or neuroplastic type pain, where some of the pain is coming from dysfunction within the nervous system itself. Um, so it looks like the person also has fibromyalgia, but the the reason why their pain is like that is because of input from the nervous system that the constant barrage from the joint instability and, you know, micro trauma to the tendons and the ligaments and things like that. So, so their, um, their pain signals are not um, being properly 
suppressed so that you don't see, you don't have awareness of every single sensation that's going on in your body. Instead, you end up feeling everything. So um, oftentimes, I mean, I have so many, most all of my patients get diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I feel like before they come to me. And I have had some of them say, you know, can you take that off my chart? Well, I can take it. I certainly can take it off of my own records, but you know, you have to go back to your own doctors, um, you know, that your other doctors that you're seeing and ask them to take it off of their records. If that's something that you want to try to pursue. So if somebody has something, let's say that is their only diagnosis and they're, they legitimately want care, you know, they don't just want pain medicine or whatever they, they want help. Do what would your advice be to patients that, that are having a hard time getting, getting care for their symptoms? So I think another really important thing is to focus on the on symptoms and, and I we want to talk about symptoms and signs in a second, but focusing on symptoms and not labels. Um, some, some patients do get, um, they, they get pretty attached to the labels. And I think it's important to think about, uh, I feel like I did that when I was younger because I knew that I, something wasn't right with me and I, and I needed that for the validation. And now I'm much less, I'm not like that because I, because I know that, um, well, I know what to do for myself with when I have various different symptoms, which obviously helps a lot. But um, it's, I think that's something that happens more early on in the process where people really want those labels, because they feel like if they have a label, then it helps to really, you know, um, give it the seriousness that, you know, they feel like something's going on in my body, but no one is listening to me and, and no one is paying attention. Um, when we were talking about, you know, kind of getting better care and better appointments and things. So symptoms versus signs. So signs are things that um, can be objectively either measured or seen by someone else. So something like a rash is a sign, swelling is a sign, color change, um, you know, uh, those kinds of things are signs. And symptoms are things that are subjective. They're things that, that you know, you feel and no one else can feel them. So it's important to also point out these signs and make sure that, you know, like when you talk to your doctor, you can say, you know, when I stand up, my, my heart races and, you know, and if your husband is sitting there, he can say, yes. And I felt her pulse and I could feel her, her pulse was just racing, you know, and it stayed that way for a while or, you know, something like that. Cause that, again, that's harder to, to argue with, or if you have, you know, I'm a little, I don't know what to, what to do about um, wearables you know, some of them, I think, provide very good data, but I also find people sometimes get so wrapped up in them. Like, um, for example, with sleep, they get so like obsessive about, you know, what did, how did my watch say that I slept last night? And I would rather that people keep a journal and in the morning, see, do they feel tired? Do they feel like they got a good night's sleep and that kind of thing, rather than getting too, you know, worried about what the watch is saying. And also too, when you roll over in bed, it might, it might light up and that wakes you up. Um, so, uh, so that those wearables can be helpful, but, um, it can also, you know, we can get too, um, too dependent on them or, or they can cause more anxiety sometimes. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. I know some of my doctors are like, don't even tell me what your watch says. I don't even want to know, you know? So, you know, and it just, because it depends on the thing too. And is, is it really being accurate? You know, that kind of thing. And there's something, one of the things on Instagram, and it's funny because I really, 
I'm learning how to love social media. Um, but there's a, there's a thing on there that you had, you know, before you go to the doctor's office and at as you, when you're at the doctor's office. And so I will have a link to that in the show notes because I think that's so important. You touched on some things because I know in my book I write about, I wrote about how to prepare, but not at all as in detail because I'm not a doctor. And so I love what you've put in there. And I think it's really important for people to know you know, exactly how to do that. Because if if you're prepared, that's night and day difference, right? From when a patient walks in and just kind of stumbles in and doesn't remember anything. It's hard to help them that way. It, it is hard to help them. And it's also important to remember that you are likely going to be influenced by how you are feeling at that moment in time. So if you were doing pretty well up until that day, and that day you're not doing very well, you might inaccurately say, I'm really not doing better since the last visit, when actually you were, you were doing quite well until that day. And the opposite is true. So it can be very helpful to kind of keep a little bit of a symptom journal, again, keeping keeping more brief notes, and also talking with the person who's going to go with you to the appointment, and to be able to say, you know, yeah, today I'm having a really good day, but I have actually been doing pretty crummy, (laughs) or the other way around. I think that can be very helpful too. Okay, that's good. And then the last question was, what would be the your one takeaway that if if somebody just brought remembered one thing from hearing you today, what do you think would be the best bit of advice for them? I would say that now this isn't this is coming from someone who has a independent private practice. Um, you know, so I, I'm working with a skewed population, and um, just based on my experience. So this may not be true in other settings. I'm just going to start out by saying that. But I feel like I can do more for people when they are concise. When I ask them questions and they they can kind of get to the meat of it pretty quickly um, as compared to, like you said, if you bring in four inches of records, you know, I mean, you can't possibly look through even a fraction of that. And it's, it's like, you know, trying to find a needle in a haystack. So likewise, if someone, you know, you ask them, when did your abdominal pain start? And they say, well, I was at uncle Frank's house and, you know, and, and sometimes that happens. And, you know, even with my visits that tend to be really long, it's still only a limited amount of time. So when people are, when two things being concise and also, um, giving me space to think. So if I'm not okay. saying anything, and if you don't say anything, then that gives me time to think, which, which I need. Um, okay. And I remember when I was, when I went back to my doctor at Mayo and I was struggling with, uh, with my, um, it presented mostly like sciatica type pain after I got out of a kayak. And this was back in 2009, 2010. And um, he, and he came back after he had done several prolotherapy injections. And he said, you know, how are you doing, et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I kind of hemmed and hawed and he said, so it's not a slam dunk. And I said, no, well, he, he, he stopped and he started looking at my images again. And he's looking through things and I just, and it's hard for me, obviously I'm a talker. And I just sat there silent because I was like, he's, he's looking things over. So I want to give him, you know, they talk about task switching, you know? So if you're doing one thing and that we think we can multitask, but we can't, we're just switching back and forth between tasks. So if I'm looking and I'm trying to digest the information and, and then somebody says something, and then I'm trying to look and they say something and, you know, it's, 
it's really helpful to have that time to think. Okay. That, and that's really good advice because I feel like we frequently want to fill that space, right? We want to fill that void with words and yes. they're not always helpful words. They might just be chatter words. So that is really good advice. I really appreciate that. You have given me different things to think about than I thought you were going to, some of them. So <laughs> that's great, but that's good because this is what we need to hear. Because our, you know, what doctor is going to sit down and say, okay, listen, if you really want me to pay attention, they can't do that. So I really appreciate you doing this today. It means a lot to a lot of people. No problem. And, and, and I will say that I'm sharing... Um, information from my own personal experience, my own professional experience. And, you know, I mean, you hang out with the people that you are most likely like encounter and work and things like that. Most of my friends are physicians or other healthcare professionals. So, you know, it's also based on other things that I hear other people talking about and, you know, years and years in the operating room and spending most of my life with surgeons and, you know, it's, yeah, so hopefully that'll be helpful some, for some people. I think it's definitely, I, I know I've got some good takeaways from it and my husband as well, because he's got, he's new into this chronic illness thing. And, and um, mm. yeah, we're going to learn some things from this to help our doctors <laughs> out a little bit. So thank you. Thank you again. I appreciate it. And we'll have links to how everybody can contact you in the show notes. But what would be the best way if somebody wanted to find you and your brilliant things that you're sharing online? Where could they go? Oh, thank you. Um, through the website is probably the best place. As you as you mentioned, I am very active on Instagram. Um, but my website is www.hypermobilitymd.com. And I do have a podcast called Bendy Body with the hypermobility MD, which I co-host with Jennifer Milner. And um, people could access that right now. It's a right now it's a shared website. And Instagram, I'm active on Instagram as hypermobility MD and Bendy underscore bodies. Also active on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, a few places. <laughs> well that's fantastic. I don't know how you have time to do it all. Oh my goodness. I have been amazing. I do want to give a shout out to my amazing social media coordinator, Kyle Thompson. He is phenomenal. And and that's, oh, that's how great. I do it. <laughs> okay. Well, well, that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I guarantee you heard something in there that you didn't know before. Let me know what it was. Contact at hardymom.com because I just would love to hear from you. You can also tell me what you'd like to hear next. And be sure to check out hardymom.com where you're going to find the show notes and transcript for this episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, check out episode 50 where you'll discover how to be positive with my unique approach. I guarantee you haven't heard anything like it. Have a fabulous day. And I look forward to talking to you next week. I'm here for you. Tips and tricks here that will help you. There's advice from experts and in interviews. Find time to be with your kids and family. I can help you get it done easily. So premenopausal or postpartum, all stages of womanhood, girl, we've got them. I've been there, I've done that too, with a hearty mom podcast, yeah, I'm here for you.